From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. Ooh, wow. I just got to say, um, I'm going to lead off with this. That was one of the, if not the, best defensive performance in Florida State program history. I'm going to say that again. That was up there with, if not the, most impressive defensive performance in Florida State program history. Keep in mind, and I'm talking about that that defensive performance was up there with the 1996 home win against Florida. It's up there with some of those 93 games, especially given the stakes. Consider this. Louisville came into this game averaging 33 points a game and 438.6 yards per game. Florida State held them to six points despite a blocked punt that gave them the ball inside the, what, 10-yard line or 12-yard line. Louisville came in averaging 6.57 yards per play. Oh, Oh, by the way, instead of 436 yards, Florida State held them to 188. Louisville came in averaging six point, just under 6.6 yards per play. Florida State held Louisville to 2.7 yards per play in this game. To add perspective to that, Iowa's offense has been a punchline all season. Iowa fans make jokes about Iowa's offense. Michigan held Iowa to 2.8 yards per play tonight in the Big Ten Championship game. Florida State held this Louisville offense, which has been explosive all season, to fewer yards per play, 2.7, than Michigan gave up to that anemic Iowa offense that's a joke. That is I think everybody just needs to take a step back and understand what you just witnessed tonight. What we all just witnessed in terms of defensive performance, knowing that you needed to have a top-level defensive performance against a very good offense and an offense that's been explosive against almost everybody. They were explosive against basically everybody except for NC State, who they played earlier in the, earlier in the year. And NC State held them to... 4.78 yards per play, 306 total yards. That was a great defensive performance by NC State. Florida State basically cut that in half. Absolutely dominant defensive performance. They, I mean, this team, Notre Dame's got a really good defense. Notre Dame held this Louisville team to 33 points and 5.1 yards per play, 5.16 yards per play. That's really good. 
Florida State cut that in half. It's insane. Absolutely insane. And the crazy thing is, because of all of the obsession about Alabama and the SEC potentially getting left out, Joe Tessitore spent the bulk of the of the game talking about you know Florida State's anemic offense and how you know is this a good enough team to to play in the playoff? <laughs> Nobody's asking that about Michigan. Nobody's asking that. Nobody was asking that about Ohio State, who was not any better than what you saw from Florida State offensively tonight through most of the year. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Michigan against Penn State put up 5.31 yards per play, 287 yards. It was 10 nothing at Iowa or in the Iowa game in the Big Ten Championship for Michigan. And everybody's like, wow, Michigan's really dominant. Look, Florida State has just gone 13 and 0 with wins over LSU, the same LSU team that had what 28 points in three quarters against Alabama's defense before Jaden Daniels went down in the fourth quarter. Gave Alabama quite a scare. The same Alabama that everybody wants to talk about how much better they are now than when they played Texas. But when they played the quarterbacks and the offenses that actually could throw the football this year, they got torched. Just think about that. Bottom line is Florida State won their 13th game. They've won the ACC championship. And they're going to be in the college football playoff. They've earned their way into the college football playoff. And I'm, I will be shocked if that's not the case. In fact, what I expect to happen from here is that the college football playoff committee is going to wind up ranking the, the undefeated teams first. So it'll be something like Michigan, then Washington. Maybe Washington gets bumped up because of the win over, over Oregon. But it's going to be Michigan, then Washington is my guess. Again, those two could flip. And then Florida State at third. And then they'll put the first one loss team in and it's going to be Texas. And when they're asked about it, they're going to say, well, you know, we compare, you know, apples to apples, you know, equal, equal teams, equal resumes and all of that. And ultimately, you know, these teams went undefeated. And when we got to the one loss teams, we compared those and Texas had the head to head win. And that'll make it a pretty defensible position. They're basically going to be able to treat this as though, look, it wasn't really a comparison of Alabama versus Florida state because they're not, they're not comparable teams. One of them has a loss on at home. And I tell you what, if Florida state can get a matchup against Michigan or, or uh, Washington, that defense that, that you just saw tonight is going to give them a puncher's chance more than a puncher's chance in those games. If they can play those teams. Now, Texas is a whole different animal because you know, viewers, has the ability to 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 make some throws and they've got some playmakers uh, that are a little bit different. But again, Ewers has not always been real good when he's pressured. <laughs> he's a very different quarterback under pressure. And this defense can pressure you. So, look, the fact of the matter is, this Florida State team, this, the saddest part about this is with Jordan Travis, I think from here, with Georgia out of the picture, I think going into this playoff with Jordan Travis starting at quarterback, I think Florida State would be favored to win the college football playoff with that defense, with that overall set of weapons getting healthier over the next few weeks. That's the other thing. People don't realize how banged up Florida State was on offense second half of the season. 
Keon Coleman has been playing through a bone bruise that has been pretty painful and a couple other maladies or ailments. Johnny Wilson's been banged up. Benson was banged up going into the Florida game and then got more banged up. And you could see, again, some of that tonight. The offensive line, several of those guys are playing hurt. Now, everybody, look, everybody gets banged up over the course of a season. That's true. Absolutely. One thing I have noticed, though, is teams that play really front-loaded schedules tend to get more banged up than some of the others. So you take a team like Michigan that didn't play a team with a pulse until November, basically. They didn't have they didn't have to fight through and gut it out in those early games and get banged up against really physical football teams. This Florida State team opened up with a very physical LSU team. And by the way, an LSU team that not everybody else played. When Wingo got hurt, that LSU front changed. He was their best player by a mile on the defensive line. Then they lost five defensive backs to injury before they played Alabama. By the time they played Alabama, that defense didn't have their best defensive linemen or their five best defensive backs, or five of their six. I mean, that makes a difference. They couldn't stop anybody by that point. And again, to give you perspective, LSU absolutely ran through and around every defense they played this season, except for one. Except for one in that opener. And everybody seems to have forgotten about that because everybody says, well, you know, that was that was the opener. But Florida State held them 17 points in regulation, er, 17 points before garbage time. Every other team they played, 72, 41, 34, 49, 49, 48, 62, 28 against Alabama. That was in three quarters before Daniels got hurt. 52 against Florida. 56 against Georgia, uh, uh, 56 Georgia State, and then 42 against Texas A&M. Nobody else other than Bama held them under 30. They had 17 before garbage time, before that third, uh, before that uh, third string score was allowed. This Florida State defense has done some things against teams nobody else has done against those teams. So, yeah, uh, I, I just, I think everybody needs to appreciate the grit and the, the way that this team has, has fought through the season. But, I mean, again, when you play a front-loaded schedule where essentially their first, their, think about this, their first month, you had LSU, you had the little break against Southern Miss, you had a better-than-expected Boston College team that's really good up front. You had Clemson, who I think has the best defense in the country. Then a physical Virginia Tech team, a really bad Syracuse team a very physical Duke team, a not-so-good Wake Forest team, a very physical but not good, but again, very physical Pitt team, a physical FCS team in Miami of Florida, and then Florida. You, basically, through once you got through that first month, by the time they finished, get, finished through Clemson, they were already really banged up. And you don't get much chance to heal over the course of the season if you get banged up in that first month. And they were banged up. That offensive line has not, they've not played the the starting offensive line that they wanted all season. Question is, there's a real possibility that those guys are healthy enough to actually play the offensive line that they want to play in the playoff because they're going to get time to heal. You get some time to heal, all of a sudden Keon Coleman starts to become more of a factor again. He starts to move better. All of a sudden, you get Span and you know Destin Hill, some guys that have been really banged up as well. 
You get uh, Benson, who is going to need you know a couple weeks in a cold tub and and basically some time to rehab. You're going to get some of your offensive line again back to where you can you can actually play the lineup that you want. That offense starts to look significantly different. Even Bell, I mean Bell's not you know 100 percent either. That offense is not that offense suddenly looks significantly different in five weeks compared to what it does today. Just because of being healthier. And defensively, that all-time defense that you that you just watched, that performance, you're going to add Daryl Jackson to that group. He's He may well be your best interior defender, and he hasn't played yet this year. You get that guy, and he's fresh. So now... The other thing that that allows you to do, let's say you play one of those teams that likes to get into a rock fight, like like a Michigan. Let's say you get matched up with Michigan. Now you can line up with a verse at one end, and then you can go, let's say, Daryl Jackson. You go verse next to Farmer, next to Daryl Jackson, and then you put Fisk on the other end on first down, second down. When they want to go big and they want to get into a rock fight and they want to they want to do that sort of thing... You go with that extra defensive tackle and you say, move those guys because they can all move and they're all big. Oh, and by the way, backed up by Fabian Lovett. (laughs) Backed up by Briggs. Some of these guys coming in fresh. That defense is not going to be a picnic for anybody in the college football playoff. Washington, obviously, I think the scariest team offensively but what do they do? They they feast on teams that can't cover those those freaks. Washington to me is very much LSU, but without Jaden Daniels, who's scarier than Penix. Penix is a good quarterback. He drives the football down the field. He makes good decisions, but he doesn't have what Jaden Daniels brings to the table. And those receivers, you know, that's one of the best groups in the country. But it's basically LSU's group. Florida State's played that team before. Again, you got to play him without Jordan Travis, which is the real tragedy of this. But it becomes real interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this is a team that's earned its way in. It's a team that did what was necessary tonight to get there. Now we should probably talk about the football game. <laughs> Enough about the situation and, and just how much they managed to do there. So looking at the numbers here. So first of all, Brock Glenn uh, did not come out and light the world on fire. And and that's not surprising. And in a lot of ways, the game went kind of how I said it would go in the in the preview. It's just that Florida State's defense was more dominant and Glenn struggled a little bit more than I thought he would. But I thought, I mean, I, I said in the in the preview that basically Florida State would need to weather the onslaught in the first quarter. That Louisville did most of its damage offensively in the first quarter. They were one of the best first half teams in the country. So essentially, Florida State needed to be patient. That was my thing. Be patient. You've got to be patient. You've got to make sure that you are really sound, that you don't let them have any freebies behind you. Make sure you're checking every receiver downfield. Make sure you're tackling at the line of scrimmage. Get your penetration. Be really disciplined against the stretch, against some of the... the uh, jet motion stuff that they're going to do just be really sound there 
And then you're going to be able to get pressure. And that quarterback doesn't like pressure when they get out of leverage. And you're going to have some chances. And that's what they were able to do. Thing is, I kind of expected that that they would be up a score at the half. I mean, that's what we talked about. Can Florida State keep it close enough in the first half when Louisville's at their best to basically put themselves in position to wear Louisville down in the second half? And when this game got to halftime at 3 nothing, I was thinking, wow, Florida State's in a better position than I thought they'd be. Because they were able to stop what Louisville did in the first half more than I thought they'd be able to. I mean, again, Jeff Brom is one of the best offensive minds in the country, and he has put up numbers against the best defenses he's played consistently in these big games. He has been a giant killer. And it did not matter tonight. First quarter, Florida State gave up 1.9 yards per play. Now, they only gave up, or they only had 0.4 themselves, but that's fine. Again, the whole thing for me in coming into this game, what did I preach in the preview episode? Patience, patience, patience. Run the rock. Get Brock Glenn to where he's comfortable with what he's seeing. Run the, run the football. Be very cautious. If you don't have great field position, just keep, keep running it. Be content to get into a punting contest. Force that offense that they've got to beat your defensive line because I'm not sure they can block you. That was what I said in the preview. That, that held up. And then the thing is, when Louisville brought some of the stuff that I thought they'd bring in the first quarter, it didn't matter because Florida State was there to cover it. Now, they missed one that they probably should have hit. But again, you were there. Second quarter, gave up 3.1 yards per play. 37 total yards. Again, only 3.4 yards per play, but enough to get a field goal once you got good field position. So you go into the half and you're fine. Pretty even game, 3 nothing. but you know that they tend to shoot, they shoot their shot through the first half and then the first drive of the third quarter. And if you can survive through that, you're in pretty good shape. And then again, first drive of the third quarter, they came out and that's the one drive they moved the football. 5.9 yards per play in the third quarter. They got the one big run where it was misfit. Uh, Gilbert Edmond, they were asking him to Jimmy the end uh, where, you know, you had the, uh, he, he basically has to keep his outside arm clean and then be able to kind of come inside and help that, that B gap. And then the main support for the B gap is coming from, from deep with the safety safety just wasn't there in time. Missed the fit. That was uh 38, I think. So they got the big run there and then you still held them to a third uh, to, to three, which was critical. And you got the long run to follow that, to answer that. And that long run by Toa Feely, that changed the football game. Because now it's 10 to 3, and with the way your defense was was playing, you felt 10 to 3 was basically the equivalent of 17 to 3. And, you know, that was that's just a huge run. And what Norvell did there is he went back to a direct snap series. That is not the Wildcat, by the way. It's not the same thing, even though everybody calls direct snap the Wildcat now. He goes to that direct snap the direct snap series, and actually one of the listeners, I can't remember who it was. One of my listeners mentioned this uh, in, in a question, and, and this is one thing I did get wrong in my preview. He asked, do you think, you know, Norvell's going to go back to that, to the direct snap stuff that he did at Memphis, some of the stuff that he did against uh, against Cincinnati in particular? And my thought was that they would do that more in the red zone, short yarded stuff, but I didn't think they'd break it out the way that they had at Memphis at times in, you know, standard standard down situations 
when you don't have leverage, mostly because, you know, they haven't really shown that this year because Trayshawn Ward was really good at running that. And it wasn't clear that they had another back that was comfortable doing that the same way. Well, Toa Feely turned out to be really comfortable doing it. And that's where they got the bulk of their of their offense tonight was in that direct snap stuff. And, you know, hat tip, you know, game ball to Toa Feely because he he was the difference offensively. They did a couple times try, by the way, to hit that rail on the uh, on the mesh. They just didn't call it at the right times where uh, Memphis, <laughs> Memphis, where Louisville was in the uh, was was in a, a man coverage situation where they could get the rub. Uh, they, they kept sort of missing their their opportunities on the rub. Now the one third down where they did call that mesh with the or they called they called a actually wasn't mesh I don't think it was a it was another series with the rail after it, uh, and they were they were trying to hit Toafili on the rail again. That's one where, honestly, if it's Jordan Travis, he hits him on the rail, even though Louisville covered it really well. The backer has his back to you, and he's kind of covering it over the top. That's one where you put that back shoulder a little bit to the outside. That's something they rep in practice. If you back shoulder that, that's a first down. And that's just a place where first-time starter, true freshman, just lacked the confidence to pull the trigger on that. And that was not the only time tonight. There were a lot of times tonight where... Brock Glenn had some opportunities. They were able to get him some some spots where he had the opportunity to pull the trigger with something that looked good, and he just didn't feel, you could see he didn't feel comfortable. He didn't see it in time. And he was a beat late all game. And that nearly led to a couple turnovers. And, you know, a little scary, few couple scary moments where he he just, he was a little slow getting it out and, and missed his spot as a, as a result. And then once he... Once you got the little uh, little sprint out to a uh, to a stick route, little sprint out um, hitch, and he darted that, then you knew it from that point forward. Like, okay, he's he's not he's not all there right now. You, you're going to have to really be that much extra careful with him because you know that's you, that's about as easy a throw as you can ask a guy to make, and he's just not he's not making that throw. So a little bit disappointing from him in terms of you know you'd hoped that he he's again he's a really confident guy. You'd hope that he'd be able to kind of step in and get just the right situation and be able to catch a little rhythm. You saw a few flashes from it tonight. The one uh, back shoulder throw to Johnny Wilson was really nice. There, there, you saw some indications of it, but again, everything was just moving a little too fast. Everything was just a tiny bit, just a beat slow. And the clock in the pocket was just a beat slow, just not quite there to feel comfortable with him. Now, He's going to need those reps going into the college football playoff. I do think Tate, based on what you've seen the last couple games, you're going to have to roll with Tate in the college football playoff once his concussion symptoms abate. But, you know, you do need to have Brock ready. And, you know, you hope you at that point you don't need to play two quarterbacks, but you're going to have to have him ready. And the next 16 practices are going to be absolutely critical in that respect. You're going to have to really speed up both of their clocks and get them to where you know what's comfortable for them. And right now, you know, what we saw tonight was a guy that was not really comfortable with a lot. And I think they also did show a lot of respect for Louisville's corners, which, as I said, coming into this game, Louisville had the best pair of corners that that Florida State has played since Clemson. And Clemson had the best pair of corners that that they've played all season. But that was the best set of corners that that, that they played since the Clemson Clemson game, for sure. And, you know, they they did they handled things pretty well. There was not a whole lot of space for Florida State on the outside, which is one of the reasons they didn't do 
they didn't ask Glenn to do as much in the passing game because there just wasn't a bunch of space against those corners. Those are guys, those are guys that are going to play in the NFL. You know, Storm Duck has a little bit, you know, it's going to depend a little bit on how he runs, but he's probably going to be at, at worst a practice squad player. He's going to, he's going to have a chance to make an NFL roster too. And Quincy's a really, really good player. So, I mean, the play he made on Toafili on the one little screen was really outstanding. But given those limitations, I thought this was one of Mike Norvell's finest offensive offensive play calling performances in terms of plan, in terms of sticking to that plan and all of that. And I know some of you out there are going to really disagree with me here. But the thing that, that was so critical in this game, I said it coming into this game, the hardest thing is going to be sticking with the plan and being patient. Louisville's a defense that you're not going to get a bunch of, you know, four and five yard runs against. It's a team that is going to get a lot of stuffs. They're going to get a lot of tackles for loss. They produce a lot of pressure. It's one of the best fronts you're going to see in the country this year. Again, top five pressure rate in the country. A bunch of tackles for loss. It's a really good front. You knew what you're going to have to deal with there, and you're going to have to punt the football you're going to have to settle for, there are going to be times where you're going to get, you know, one yard, one yard loss, no gain type runs, and you're going to just have to keep calling it. And you've got to be willing to punt the football, knowing that your defense should be able to handle them. And the discipline of doing that, (laughs) that's hard to do, especially when you're a coach who's used to calling a really prolific explosive offense. And you're doing that knowing that that defense has given up some big plays in the run game, especially in the second half, as they wear down a little bit. And that's what you're banking on. You're banking on being able to just chip away, find a little bit of space, just a little bit here, a little bit there. And, you know, those one yard gains start to become, you know, three, five yard gains for, you know, a a drive or two. And then all of a sudden you're able to crease one. And that's what happened. And that one big one was enough. 73 yards by Toa Feely. All of a sudden, that changed the football game. And then, again, toward the end of the game, they started getting some space in the running game. And you could start to see it happen. You could start to see them starting to lean on that defense just a little bit. Again, the quarter cumes show this a little bit. Got first, uh, first, first half, 1.6 yards per carry. 23 carries for 1.6 yards per carry. That includes... Two sacks. Second half, 21 carries for 6.1 yards per carry. Why? Because of a few big runs. And then, you know, Benson started getting some creases. You started seeing guys leaning on that defensive front. And especially by keeping it, keeping it close, you got to be content being up 3 nothing. You got to be content being up 10-3, to 10-6. You got to say, you know what? That's fine. We're not going to we're not going to panic. We're not going to try to win it all in one play. We're just going to keep chipping away, and if we have to, we'll punt it and then let the defense win it. And that's what they did. That's a really good plan. The only thing that I, you know, if I were going to nitpick this, if I'm Mike Norvell and I'm going back and I'm self scouting after this game, the one thing that I would take myself to task for, and the one thing that I, I I'm going to nitpick Mike on this is I do think that they missed a couple opportunities to take to be a little bit more aggressive on some first down throws 
especially early, not 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 very early, but uh, I'm trying to think about which drive this was when they started on the 50. And uh, yeah, this is the fourth drive of the game. And by this point, the game is starting to, you're starting to get into a little bit of a, of a rhythm here in terms of what you're seeing and all of that. And they got the football on the 50. And that was the time where I thought they could go hard play action and, and maybe take a shot because Louisville was really selling out against the run. They were in position where you're going to get your one-on-one if you go hard play action and you you get one of your freaks in a good matchup, and I'm thinking Johnny Wilson at that point, you got a chance to to get your quarterback an easy, you know, low risk throw that that could be a high reward. And instead, they ran it on first and second down, and then asked him to throw it on third down, and you know that wasn't doing him any favors. That's one that I'd nitpick. And then there were a couple other situations on like third and you know third and seven that sort of situation where I thought they could have tried to go to the one-on-one matchup to Johnny Wilson on the boundary a couple more times. So instead of asking him to read mesh, which they, they ran, I thought they ran mesh too many times today. Mesh is one of those plays. I, I you have to rep it a bunch and, and they rep it a good, good amount, but it's one of those plays that can take a while sometimes to pop open and you have to be, you have to really be able to read it underneath and you rep it a bunch so you can do that. And it's one of the best plays in football if you're if you're really in your groove, but for my money, it's a, it's one of those plays that that I wouldn't have gone to with a with a young guy as much. I would have tried to make it a one on one situation. Okay, they're they're going one on one here on the boundary. I'm going to make it a fifty fifty ball. Take that take that shot to Johnny. One on one. This is practice. Just catch it. Set your feet. Throw it to that guy and let that guy make a play. I'm thinking that's what they should have done on probably three or four more drives when they when they actually ran concepts like mesh. Just make it simpler. Just make it a jump ball to that guy. If he doesn't catch it, well, you know, punt anyway. Get the ball out of the quarterback's hands a little quicker. That's the only critique that I have, is, they pro- is I'd have probably done that maybe four more times in this game. Other than that, the way they schemed up the running game, the way that they were patient, the way that they got... Louisville in some advantageous looks at times, the way that they recognized what Louisville was jumping to when they started doing some of the direct snap and how they responded to that with ponies and different things. Cause Louisville was jumping to bear covering up all the offensive linemen. And, and that's a tough look to run against. And then they, they did some really nice things against that. So yeah, I, I thought this was, I thought this was a well-called game, especially under the circumstances, especially given the limitations that you had. It's hard to be, I mean, again, I've been, I've been on the sideline where you're in that kind of slug fest and you know, you've got those guys outside and it's just so easy to get impatient. It's so easy to get into a situation where you turn the ball over and you cost yourself a football game and they, they did what they needed to do to move the football, to get the creases in the running game. They, they found the right concepts. They took advantage of them when they needed to. And that was that. And the thing is, you don't have the one drop from Keon Coleman on the one on the one it was a, thrown a little behind him yes but on the one seam you're in position to score again on that drive and that changes the complexion of this of this game entirely so and you know i think a healthy keon probably catches that and probably catches the one uh, against florida he's just not completely himself right now so again what they did in this game is 
you know, hat tip to those guys. And to me, the player of the game, the guy that had better have broken the rock is, is Fisk. Five solo tackles, three sacks, four and a half tackles for loss, including the opening of the game where he set the tone. And then another two hurries. That dude was an absolute monster in this game. And he and he and uh, and Verse were playing a lot of a lot of games where they're reading who goes first in the in the uh, in the in the the twist game, and they did a great job of of working that out and making sure that uh, that they kept springing each other, and it was just really impressive to watch. And then the other guy that that should take a there are two other guys that should take a whack at that uh, at that. Well, really, there's multiple guys more than that. They should be grinding that that uh that rock into powder with how many guys deserve to uh take a swing at it but you know second guy should be Bethune for the pass breakup and then the interception and then of course Toafili for the long run and then a couple other uh big runs that that got that changed the field so you know this team has fought they've clawed you know when I was when I got when I was a walk-on in you know just a couple years was not was not around for long enough, and I wasn't good enough to really say much about anything except that I worked really, really hard, and I bought completely into the ethos of the program of sweating and bleeding for that for that goal, and to try to be the best player I can, and to make the guy across from me as as good as he can be, and to outwork anybody that we're going to play against. We took so much pride in that, and in the in the grind. And we, you know, our motto for, for so long was finish the drill. And we knew we outworked every team we played. We knew we were, we were the better trained, grittier, guttier bunch. We knew that. We took so much pride in that. This team, th- the way that they've played this season, has exemplified that same program ethos. And honestly, this is one of the, if not, this might be, Given the injury situations, given what happened with Jordan Travis down the stretch, given you know all the bodies that they've had to trade in and out at, on the offensive line, all sorts of other stuff, you know, not being the favorite to start the season, you know, being being an underdog in the opener to a really good LSU team, the way that this team has fought and clawed and shown that kind of guts, this is one of the, if not the, guttiest and grittiest seasons in Florida State history. This team probably shouldn't be undefeated given all the stuff that they've dealt with. And, you know, they needed they needed to come up with some some key plays in a couple places. I mean, most notably at, at Clemson in overtime. But they keep doing it and they work and they just keep showing that grit and in a game like this where the defense knows they got to go out and win it, they did. And, you know, you give up a blocked punt that gives field position. Looking at it here, where, where did that drive actually start? That drive started on the FSU 12. And they, after, and that's after the, the punter got, got tackled. Didn't even block a punt. Punter got, got tackled on their own 12. And you come out of that with an interception, no points. After fighting through... Again, the guy has the ball. He's making the catch and you just fight through his hands that much harder. You fight for just a split second longer to come up with that play. And you get the ball away from him. And then a couple plays later, you come up with the interception. 
that kind of fight and grit is that I mean that sequence just exemplifies what this what this team has been all season and they deserve a tremendous amount of credit and the coaching staff deserves a tremendous amount of credit for getting that team to buy into that kind of work and they're going to as a result wind up in the college football playoff with a with a real chance I, I mean again they're going to get an opportunity to get healthy on offense that offensive line is going to be a lot better in the playoff, those backs are going to be a lot healthier with a little more pep in their step in the playoff. And Mike Norvell is going to get a chance to really get comfortable with his quarterbacks and scheme up what, what he thinks they can do. And they're going to get some opportunities to play and to get those reps that they need to and, and to get healthy. They're going to have a chance. They're not, they're, they shouldn't be favored the way that they would be with Jordan Travis. I think they would be favored to, to win it all with Jordan Travis at quarterback or should be favored to win it all with Jordan Travis at quarterback. And that's the real sad part about it. But that's a team that can win it. Because when you have a defense that steps up like that and you have corners, I mean, at all levels, they can, they can play and they can cover and they can, they can get pressure and stop the run with that defensive line. They're going to have a chance. Add Daryl Jackson, a lot of a lot of different things, and stir. They got a real chance, and 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 again, just enjoy the fact. So, if you're listening to this podcast, you're almost certainly a Florida State fan. Enjoy the fact that this team managed to do what it did, and appreciate them for what they've done through 13 games, and for the fight and the work and all that they put into that. Because you know that's that's not something you see every year. That is definitely a special group, and and they deserve a lot of credit. And honestly, those of you who have you know bigger pocketbooks than I do, uh, really seriously need to uh, look into the the battles end stuff, uh, as they're, they're going to need some more donors by by quite a lot. Uh, they're they're behind on schedule on that. Uh, if you want to see this sort of thing continue to repeat, you're going to need to you're going to need to do that sort of thing. But um, yeah, that'll wrap for the hot takes. For now, uh, I'm, I'm going to do some evaluation, some uh, some film stuff later, probably later this week, and then uh, I'll be back to talk about the matchup after the college football playoff uh, field gets set and we know who Florida State's going to play in that semifinal game. Uh, be back to talk about that shortly thereafter. But until then, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media, and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. 
I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this. <laughs>